So we have a lot of screenwriters that watch the YouTube channel. Yeah. And they have screenplays that they want, of course, made into movies, obviously. Now, your latest film is All I Want? Yeah. Okay. So now this is the second script that you've produced in the last, what is it, four years? Um, in the last, I guess, four, four, four or five years or so. Okay. So then, did you sell either or both screenplays in the process of getting them made? I mean... Well, this, this film here, All I Want, is a little different from someone I used to know, which is my first feature, in the sense that I was approached by my uh, producing partner, uh, Melissa Center, who's also our lead actress. Um, and she had an idea for a story that she wanted to dig at and, and scratch at and see if it was worth um, bringing to the screen. And so she approached me and I was working on another project at the time. And so I was brought on to really help her uh, mold the story and help her kind of figure out what is the most interesting kind of narrative. Um, and during the process of developing that story with her, I became more and more involved with, um, I guess, um, the, the, the bones and the skin and the skeleton of the story. And uh, during the process, we both became really, really kind of connected um, to the story, to the vision. Um, and then that's, that's when we decided, like, let's go and, and try to make this thing happen. And so I went away and wrote the script, and then we raised the money and, and, and you know, did the casting and, and all that stuff. So this is a little different in the sense that the story was not an original idea from the very beginning of me, you know, in my head. As opposed to my first feature, it was an idea that I was was swimming in my head for a long time, and I wanted to sort of get it out. Um, so this has been a you know collaborative process with with another person. Um, but the process of writing the story at the end of the day is still very similar. You know, you're still trying to figure out plot points and pacing and character and and length and budget and all that stuff. So a couple questions come up for me. Um, one of which, first off, is financing. Mm-hmm. How did you raise the money? Uh... We know we did the traditional route. We went to um, a studio, and they said no. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, no, no, no. We went to we did crowdsourcing. You know, uh, the the first approach was really we went to Indiegogo, Great. Um, and we raised a lot of our initial kind of you know budget um, through that. And then at the same time during the campaign, um, Melissa and I were reaching out to people on the side who might be interested in coming on board as an executive producer who could potentially invest in a little bit more uh, time or money to help us you know, uh, bring this vision to life. Um, so it was a combination of kind of um, private investments um, and, and also Indiegogo um, campaign. Um, so. Did you know a lot of your uh, contributors to the Indiegogo campaign? I have to say, and this is the amazing thing about uh, my producing partner, Melissa, you know, she's really, really great. Her talent is really kind of like winning hearts and minds, you know, really. Um, She's very engaging as a personality. She's very smart. She's very astute. And she went out there and just really, really made a lot of connections to people. And I would say... Um, you know, we had people contributing anywhere from $5 to a lot more than that. Um, and either very few of them were strangers. I would say a lot of them, you know, were personally connected to her. Um, people who really, really were allies of her. 
Um, and then the rest of them were either friends of mine or friends of the cast or friends of, you know, the production. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, if you look at our thank you, <laughs> you know, um, it is a long list of thank yous. Um, and, and that's because we had a lot of people kind of donating their time, um, donating their money. Um, and, uh, you know, this movie would not be where it is now without them. So, Do you mind if I ask how much you raised with Indiegogo? How much did we raise? We raised, I think, eleven thousand. You know, good. or eleven or fifteen. I can't remember. I mean, it's it's on the web if you guys look sure. it up. Um, and uh, I we did it over forty five days, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, and 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 I would say probably half of them, Melissa and I, did personal, you know, video thank yous to because we wanted to really kind of you know reach out and. And, and, and show our gratitude. Um, so, you know, a lot of people came and, and supported that, so. Great, my second question is, how did you know that uh, working with Melissa would be a fit? Because from what you're telling me, it sounds like you guys have a great working relationship and that you clicked, but people yeah. don't always click and yeah. it's through no fault of their own, it's just, but how did you know when you first met her that it was gonna be, it was going to be someone that you probably could work with for a while? You know, I, I, did, I didn't know, I didn't know. Um, and that's an interesting question because I've had a lot of that kind of discussions, you know, those kinds of conversations with diff different people. I have friends who I've known for a long time and we don't really mesh creatively or, or whatever, you know. Um, I think in the beginning when she approached me, having gone through my own indie production, having written plays and produced plays and, and directed plays and short films, I kind of like, I could see the big mountain in front of her that was kind of possibly in her blind spot. And she came to me full of kind of ambition and it was so pure and, and you know, she was very enthusiastic. And I knew that she was gonna get a lot of no's. And for some strange reason, and I told her this story, for some strange reason, I didn't wanna be the person saying no to her because I was like, you know, she's gonna get so many no's. So I just kind of said, yes, I said, I said, she was like, are you interested in having meeting with me to talk about some ideas that I have about some project? I don't know exactly what it is yet, but I'm potentially looking for someone to help me write this thing. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a fan of her as an actor, you know, we met um, as, as actors. And, and so I was like, yeah. And then it was basically just all along the way. Again, she has a talent of really winning hearts and minds. And I think, you know, at the end of every session, you know, she would go away and, and like, when are we meeting again? And I was like, okay, you know, Tuesday or, you know, Friday. And that kind of kept going on and on. I just kept on, you know, kind of um, saying yes to her, thinking that this is gonna be such a impossible task, you know. And it suddenly became this, this kind of animal of itself, you know? And then we, we both kind of like started to believe in it. And then we were both really kind of going out and winning hearts and minds together. And then um, to answer your question about the compatibility, I, I, think, I think there's a unique kind of um, yin yang between she and I because she's great at the things that I'm not great at. She's really great at I don't know what part of the brain. She's really great at prioritizing, you know, um, having some idea of how to 
um, take care of the bigger picture in small bites. Um, and she's really great at making sure that I stick to a certain schedule, um, making, you know, just really kind of allowing me to kind of like, um, giving me the, I guess, giving me the boundaries, you know, cause I was really out there trying to like suggest this and that. And she was like, what about this? What about that? So I think, I think we play different kind of notes on, on, on the keyboard, you know, and I think that's nice. You know, sometimes you work with someone and you're both kind of in the same kind of like area, you know, and, and, and so, and I think that you start competing in terms of approach. Um, so I think along the way when we were working together, it was great because we were really able to delegate. Well, you're better at doing this, so you do that. And I'm better at doing this, so you do that. Um, so, so yeah. This is a weird question, but I'm just gonna ask it. Um, yeah. Has your intuition ever failed you? Because I get the sense that you trust your intuition and you really go off that when it comes to certain things. That's a really, really difficult question to answer because I've, you know, as, as all the storytellers and all the artists out there know, especially in LA, there's this really weird push and pull between your own intuition and then also this other thing of like feedback. You know, people will tell you that won't sell or that doesn't translate or these are the rules or, 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 or you don't do that. I think my initial kind of primal intuition has always been a little bit more rebellious. I don't like authority. I don't like being told you can't do this. Um, I've always been interested in some things that are like left of center per se. So I think, you know, my intuition you know, has been challenged so many times because people will come and, and, and say, well, that doesn't really work, you know, or that is kind of not how you do it. So it's been kind of a, an interesting uh, journey or a struggle because I, th I do think that somewhere along the way, because filmmaking is a collaborative process and you have to like open yourself up to suggestions and different perspectives, but at the same time, I do think that storytellers and artists and, 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 and filmmakers or whoever, actors, writers, you have to open up the windows a little bit for, for perspective and feedback, but you also have to be, be really mindful of what your internal kind of voice is. And, and so to answer your question, sometimes I feel like I'm really good with my instincts and sometimes I'm, I'm really proud of it. And sometimes I don't know because I haven't been able to test a lot of things in the marketplace. You know, I mean, you and I off camera, we talked a little bit about David Lynch and, and how, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of his work. And this is a guy whose work is so specific and I'm such a fan of his work, you know, but he's been proven in the marketplace. And so people have an understanding that that's his signature. You know, so people will leave him alone. You can do whatever you want because there's a fan base there, you know. But I think when you're, you know, just sort of emerging in the marketplace and you're trying to figure out what your voice is, what kind of stories are interesting to you, and you don't have all the money and all the access to people who can help you make that vision come to life, then you start to make little compromises along the way, you know. And then somewhere along the way, the magic of collaborating happens 
where your movie can become better than you expected, but also somewhere along the way, you might start to like lose a sense of your own voice because you don't know whether you got a chance to really experiment with that. Does that make sense? It you does. know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a long answer to your question. No. But I, I, I think, I guess to answer your question, I think it's an ongoing, ongoing thing that happens with storytellers of trying to figure out, I, I don't really know what it is yet, you know? Is that right? And so, you know, fighting, finding a good collaborator is really important. Well, that's the balance, the scales, you the know? balance, yeah, and, exactly. And, 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 and it seems like you have a lot of that. Balance? Yeah. I don't know. No. I'm a Libra, and apparently Libras are never balanced. They're always seeking balance. Okay. So I'm always in flux. <laughs> but that's good, though, that you, you, it's better than, I think, thinking, like, I'm always right. That, that you're, you, you trust your gut and that that works because maybe then you're able to be free with certain things and creatively and, and yeah. ex explore different ideas, but then maybe humble enough, for lack right. of a better word, of, of being like, okay, I may not always be right and I'm open to hearing somebody else's process. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a good rule of thumb for me, generally speaking, is the best idea wins. You know, but, but, but to be very honest, that is a lot easier said than done. You know, when you start to involve, you know, taste, when you start to involve um, gut instincts, you know, these are things that are very subjective. These are things that are really difficult to, to, to kind of value, you know, when, when you're talking about taste. So I think, I, think, I think all of that stuff is just part of the, part of the experience of making a film. You know, same thing for actors. You know, they get a few different takes and then they sort of surrender that to the filmmakers. You know, and the writers sort of surrender that to the director and producers, you know. So um, at the end of the day, it's just a collaborative process and everybody is sort of just, you know, throwing it out there um, to see what lands. I like that. The best answer, or what was it? The best idea, the best idea wins. wins. Yeah. The best idea wins, you know, and, and, and so, but, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about, <clears throat> I've been watching a lot of uh, documentaries on Apple and Steve yes. Jobs and Steve Wozniak. If it had been two Steve Jobs, it probably wouldn't have worked. worked. Two right. Wozniaks, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But because the combination was right. right Right. It worked, and I'm just thinking like, you know, you said that somehow you just know it's going to work, whereas maybe you meet somebody who you're great friends with, mm -hmm. but in terms of collaborating right. on a film that's going to have some rough times, it's right. going to have some great times, not every night is going to be the screening. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, that, that's the one night that right. probably everything's going to go great, but yeah. that you just have to have that right combination. And yeah, I think, I think with this project, uh, like many other projects, there's got to be kind of a, a, a heart to it, you know? And I think in the beginning, that heart really belonged to Melissa. You know, she was really kind of um, compelled to tell a story of some kind that resembled what we ended up putting on screen, you know? And, and there was something that kind of pulled her to that, you know? And so... Um, the process was really us trying to like pull the pieces apart and trying to reattach them together and see what's interesting. So we're really, really proud of the, f the film, the final product. So. so did you submit your screenplays for All I Want and Someone I Used to Know to competitions, screenplay competitions? 
No. Didn't. No, no. I I I have submitted, you know, previous scripts of mine to competitions, either plays or or, or screenplays. Um and I haven't won anything, you know. I've got I've been placed uh, various things, but I haven't won anything. And you know, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about taste. You know, I, I do think that the market doesn't always know, you know. Um, and and I think for this film, for all I want, the intention was always to go out there and and, and shoot it. A great example is this: um, when we started to you know structure the story, and when we started to really think about how to, you know, bring that idea from you know our heads to the page um, to set and to screen, I told Melissa that you know this script is going to be probably at max seventy five pages and she was a little bit kind of surprised because I think the the industry standard at least is probably at least 90 95 98 or whatever you know um, but having done my previous you know indie short I mean indie having done my previous indie uh, feature um, where that script was you know clocked in at I think 98 or 102 pages long um, and it was an indie film. We never got any of the, we, we didn't shoot 100% of the script. And so we really had to go into post-production in that film, really struggling to re-piece the story together in a way that was coherent, you know? And so I knew that this film would be really kind of short shooting schedule because of budget, because of schedule. And so the intention was, how do we go into post-production in the editing room with as much of the script as possible, right? So that we can really go in there um, with all the tools, you know, for the editor. It, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a waste of time and a waste of kind of, you know, vision to have a 98-page script and you go into a, you know, 10-day shoot schedule where you can only shoot seven pages a day. The math... The math is going to basically squeeze out 15, 20 pages out of your script, you know. And so that's a good example is that we didn't really write the script with the intention of going out there and submitting it to, to, to contests or, or going out there to try to raise money. We, we really, this was really the blueprint for this kind of journey that we were going to go on. It, it was the roadmap for this trip that we were going to take. And, and so, you know, uh, we really kind of nailed it down to a quote-unquote, you know, short feature-length script um, by industry standard, you know. But the end process is that we have a full-length feature film that's, you know, over an hour and a half. So. so you thought if I take out 20 pages, that'll save us X amount of dollars because we won't be here, I don't know how many, you figure what, uh, right. you know. Two more days or three more days, whatever, how many days. Right, right. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, what it comes down to for filmmaking, for indie filmmaking is, is, is at some point it comes down to math. You know, if you are shooting 10 days and you are probably going to be budgeted at seven, eight pages a day, right, then that means that you're probably going to have a 70, 80 page script. And if you want to have you know, enough time for the actors to kind of play around a little bit. If you want to give enough time for your crew to, to give you a good kind of a, 
you know, uh, a set in terms of lighting, if you want to have, have a little room for making those mistakes on set, then, you know, if you go into a, a, a production telling your first AD that I need to shoot 10 pages a day, that's, that's just really kind of unfair for the production. And, you know, what ends up happening is that you go into post-production with 20% of your script missing, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it's really tough. So if you hadn't done someone I used to know, and I'm sorry, I don't know how much time went by between yeah. both projects, but you probably would have then gone in with the mindset of let's do industry standard. Absolutely. Let's do absolutely. 98 pages. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, you know, you go in there not, you go in there with this, it's purely artistic. You go in there sure. wanting to express something. And, and, you know, everybody's saying kind of, let's do it. Director, producer, you do it. And then the first day of shooting, the crew and the cast is getting to know each other. And then you miss, you know, you miss, I would say, one scene, even if it's one scene. And then you go into the next day already behind. And then you go in the next day already behind. And the next thing you know, at the end of the production schedule, you've missed, you know, a, a nice chunk of, of your movie. So, you know, I, I think that without that experience, without having gone through that, um, I probably would have been like, yeah, let's go out there with a full-length script and let's just do our best, you know, and I think we probably would have had some struggles, you know, in terms of narrative in, 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 in post-production. Sure, and then there's that whole romantic notion of like, hey, I'm in L.A. and I'm on a set. Right. And this is cool, and I'm I'm doing this, yeah. but then time and money slip away. So were you always so disciplined? Was that that was just something that was gained from this last production, or were there other things that kind of helped you become that on point? Because I'm sure that's not fun right. to have to be that guy on set, right. but you you essentially have to. You know. I mean, I think I think it's it's just having an idea of what you can accomplish and what you can't accomplish. You know, um, you, you, I mean, I, I was, I was saying to, you know, some of our people in the crew during pre-production was that at some point the artistic kind of, you know, uh, a journey becomes a, a, a kind of a business journey, you know, and you have to, I mean, I literally was using words like we really have to manage assets and liabilities. You know, That's great. Um, and, and a good example is you go into production with a 100-page script, and that's your asset, you know, and then you look at the budget, and you, you look at your schedule, and then suddenly that, that script becomes a liability because you can't shoot the extra 15 pages. And then the crew is like, oh, my God, we're behind, we're behind, behind, and that puts a certain type of energy on, this, on the set. So um, to answer your question, you know, um, I, think, I think the... The, the, the um, consensus between Melissa and I was always let's prepare this product uh, for success. You know, let, let's, let's try to like create a roadmap. And we wrote the movie for a location that we knew that we had access to. You know, and the location changed several times during pre-production. And I had to go back in there and, and, and basically tinker a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so that's another thing is, is, is I think you have to go in there with, with as much, um, as much of information as you can. 
what I'm seeing still again seeking balance seeking balance. you know one scale is tipping more and then you're 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 rewriting to fit the scene and it sounds yeah. like you did an excellent job of that yeah 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 and and we had an amazing we had an amazing um, you know cinematographer Ruben O'Malley I mean he came from New York I mean I literally met him you know we had phone conversations and emails uh, leading into the production but I literally met him two days you know before filming you know I picked him up uh, at LAX with Melissa on Thursday we started shooting on Saturday oh, we wow. did a tech scout on Friday and we had dinner and talked about kind of what we wanted to do and so we had an amazing editor you know along the way Derek Druin um, amazing sound designer composer along the way we had so many people who were you know getting paid you know uh, far less than they deserve and and so I was certainly was seeking the balance of trying to make sure that all the pieces were in the right places, you know, but at the same time, it, it, you know, it comes down to the kind of the group of people that you have to collaborate with. So just going back real quickly yeah. to what we we're talking about earlier. So you didn't enter it in any screenplay competitions, but did you try to take it up the like Hollywood food chain with an agent or a manager? You know, no. Um, I know that Melissa sent the script out, you know, during, right before production or maybe pre-production just to sort of, you know, see what the feedback was. And we had various, you know, kind of comments about the script and I was able to weigh what comments kind of helped us and what didn't, you know. Um, you know, I think, again, going back to what we talked about earlier about being um, a real, realistic kind of roadmap for this, you know, trip that we would be taking, uh, it was really about that because a lot of people came back with notes like, well, you know, that that thing should really be happening on page, you know, 12, not 7, and that pay, that thing really doesn't make sense. And, you know, and I think a lot of the comments like that are well-meaning. You know, because I've written for many, many years and I think I understand all that stuff. But, you know, the conversation that I had with Melissa that we had to really um, negotiate was this project is really about a certain, you know, location, a certain budget, uh, a certain kind of vision with, with in terms of scheduling, you know. And so um, we really had to be... be wise about what, what feedback we wanted to take and what feedback we wanted to dismiss. Um, so we didn't take it up the Hollywood food chain, so to speak, um, because they just, you know, uh, probably wouldn't be interested because there are no car chases and there's no kind of, you know, there's no aliens or anything like that, you know. Um, it was really kind of a very personal thing that we wanted to, to embark on. Okay. Did you implement any changes into the script, though? When, when they said, this is confusing here, or maybe they didn't say that, did the two of you mm -hmm. go back and say, well, if we're getting feedback from an outside source, maybe we're so close to it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, think, I think that, um, you know, we, we, Melissa and I worked on outlining this story from the very beginning. We were really trying to talk about the characters, talk about the relationship, talk about, you know, the plots, the narrative, and all that stuff and themes and everything and then once we had a pretty fair idea of what story we wanted to tell um, I went away and wrote the script because I was going to end up directing it and I, I felt that it was really important for me to be intimately involved with with the nuts and bolts of it you know um, and then once we got people kind of looking at the script we absolutely you know took in advice and, and comments about it you know if, if that 
button is not funny enough or doesn't work or, or, or you know that is an extra scene that you really really don't need um, we absolutely did that you know and also even you know like like all films you know you essentially rewrite the script um, in editing you know you're writing your final draft in editing and we had an amazing editor on board um, who's really you know works on bigger budget movies but he liked the story he believed in it and so you know me Melissa and Derek the three of us in during editing really kind of tried to reshape you know the story in some ways to to to, to match what we wanted to do you know because there were still scenes that we ended up not getting to you know even even with the intention of shooting a, a short script we still missed scenes why um, sorry to interrupt but why well because of budget because oh. of time because of schedule you know it's an ensemble film so you're working with a schedule of so many different people and then there's the budget part of it which is like we're running out of time um, it, that's gonna take an extra day um, so that put us in in I mean it wasn't a horrible situation I think the movie became better um, but I do think that you know all the feedback that you take you know uh, you have to take it from the very beginning all the way to the end you know even in editing we went through I don't know I it must have been three four different cuts before we arrived at the final cut and throughout the process you know we had a very private you know kind of a screening um, for about 10 people um, on the big screen um, where we invited people to come and watch the movie and we got you know we did a kind of a Q&A uh, feedback you know we gave them questionnaires and we said what what movie what you know what part of the movie did you enjoy um, what do you think about when you're done watching this movie and and those questions and the answers to those questions really helped us you know gauge how far off we were about our movie going back to what you said earlier the best solution or best answer usually wins in your mm -hmm. opinion something mm -hmm. like that do you think a lot of people are that open I mean no I don't I don't think so and I think I think I think even in some ways I missed a mark you know um, because I do think that you, I think art you have to have an ego in your story you know I don't think the ego should get in the way but I do think that you have to have an idea of what your personal conviction is you know what your vision is um, so I think being mindful of it is is you know is I think healthier than than a lot of people are you know I mean I, I like to believe that I can always take a good note you know it doesn't always happen and I think that's true for everyone who's working in this industry you know you have to walk that line of what do you personally feel like is right and what the feedback is from different people you know um, so it's it's a tough it's a tough thing uh, to, to kind of negotiate you know I think it's a I think it's a the context I think it yeah I think you have to look at that in the context of um, where the person is you know where the person's coming from you know um, you know I'm coming from another project that's very similar so I have a certain perspective and someone else is coming from something else um, and so you have to measure all of that, you know. 
Yeah, and have a filter in have terms filter. of like what is actually constructive criticism and what is someone just BSing me and right. what is somebody trying to squash me. Right. And that's a tough thing because I think in LA or anything creative, there's all those right. coming at you. Right, right. So, and I right. think anybody who does something creative has a fairly strong ego, but then you can't be a mouse either. Mm -hmm. You can't just be like, oh, really? Okay, let me change that right. for you. You know, I mean, you have to fight right. back a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go back to the writing process with you and Melissa. So what was going on in your life when you started coming up uh, with ideas for All I Want? I, mean, I know she, it's her idea for the story initially, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she, um, I was in the middle of um, finishing a, a full-length play, um, oh, and I was in the middle of workshopping that play um, because there was a story in that that I wanted to work out, and I you know, was doing that. And so, you know, when she first approached me, my mind was really in, in, in another story in, in terms of, you know, my writing. Um, you know, and as an actor, I really was kind of taking myself out of things a little bit because I just, for whatever reason, just gotten kind of um, disenchanted with, with the process of, 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 of an actor's life, you know. So I started really was writing something to produce and direct. Um, and when she approached me, um, there was something about the story that, you know, both, both Melissa and I are big fans of ensemble movies. And so that was our initial kind of connection. We're, we're fans of ensemble films. And I also think that the theme of what we're trying to talk about in this movie is a really important theme for me. And for her, this idea of, you know, people in the modern American city right now, I feel like, uh, at least certainly in Los Angeles, you know, there's this kind of undercurrent of stress and anxiety absolutely. And, and, and depression that people mm. don't talk about. You, you know? see it, though. You absolutely you feel see it. it. You, you feel, feel it. it. You bump up against it. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily talking about clinical disorders of anxiety or depression or things like that. I'm talking about the garden variety kind of, you know, garden variety kind of weight of, of anxiety, of stress, of depression. Um, and that is, for me, it feels like is a very untalked about you know, um, area of modern life, you know, people who are trying to figure out what kind of jobs, you know, they want to have. Um, do they want to switch careers? Do they want to get married and have kids? Do they, are they happy with their partner, um, with, with their, you know, families? Um, and I think thematically that was something that we both wanted to kind of, you know, pull apart and, 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 and examine. And I think that's the wonderful thing about this film is that um, it's got amazing performances, you know, across the board. Um, there's amazing technical kind of, you know, prowess in terms of cinematography and editing and, and, and composition. Um, I'm certainly proud of my work as a director, and Melissa and I are very proud of it as producing partners and someone who kind of collaborated to make the script happen. But thematically, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about for the audience that we don't already talk about right now. 
Right. I know there is a taboo because yeah. people want to just make it. No, nobody wants to get too heavy about mm. anything. But I sense it. And living in L.A. as long as I have, I've yeah. seen the change. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because it's busier here. But on a side note, and we can take this out if you if you don't want to talk about it. But where you live, and I won't say where it is, but it's removed in from the Hollywood Hills. Well, well, it's removed <laughs> from Hollywood. Yeah. And you have a lovely place here, by the way. Thank and you. I can see why you would want to be here mm -hmm. because it's not part of the industry. But you are so creative, mm -hmm. and you do produce things. Right. You don't just talk about them. You have a body of work. Why choose some place that's not in the heart of the industry? Well, it wasn't initially by choice. You know, it was it, it was based on so many different factors in terms of where you want to put yourself, where you want to make your nest per se. A lot oftentimes, when you don't have all the resources that you want to have, you know. Um, but I think as a result of all these different factors forcing me to make a decision, um, I'm able to kind of have a home that feels a little bit kind of, you know, on the outskirts of the hub of, you know, Hollywood. And I think that gives me a certain sense of, I don't know, whether it's distance or peace from it or whatever, you know, um, having, having some quiet time, you know, to, to work on whatever you want to work on. Um, so. So you don't feel that pull to be in, in sort of the hub where there's all this? No, no, you know? no, no. I mean, not anymore. I think when I first moved down to LA, it was really important for me to kind of be surrounded by, you know, where everything is happening. You know, and that was exciting for, for many years. And I think now it's kind of nice to sort of like be around that, have access to that, but then also be away, be, you know, ha have the ability to kind of like tuck yourself away um, and, and, and not be surrounded by that. Are you more creative in the daytime or nighttime? Definitely in the daytime. Yeah, I think so. I'm more of a morning, morning person. Um, and I think that's... I don't know whether Melissa has ever complained about it. I don't think so. But every time we would have meetings, I would always be like, let's do it eight in the morning, you know? And she was like, yeah, sure. You know, I think that's also kind of interesting too, because, you know, I'm, as a side note, I'm collaborating on another project with someone else who's a night person, you know? And, and, and that's like, <laughs> in some interesting ways, that's kind of caused some, you know, friction because I'm like, you know, after eight, 8 p.m., you know, my mind sort of just relaxes and sure. it starts to think about other things, you know, and, and I kind of want to eat and I kind of want to watch a movie. I kind of want to just, you know, uh, maybe go to the gym and, 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 and do nothing, you know. Um, and during the day, I'm really productive. And, and for, for this other person, it's the opposite. The you opposite. Know? Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know what, I, I, it would be interesting to take a tally to see, you know, where people are. Are they morning? Are they night person? You know, and also their collaborators. Are they are they the same or opposite? What about you? Are you a morning uh, creative person? Or are you? I would say I get much more done after a cup of coffee right. and in the morning, in the and morning. then past a certain point, you're just done. I, I'm just done, right. and I I don't. Nothing is worse than being behind a computer when it's like two a.m. Right, and I can't see straight. And I don't, that's not my, where my best self lies. Right, right, right. <laughs> so right. I, yeah. I get that, but yeah. I know there's some people that come alive at night. Yeah. 
and I, I just think we're just hardwired differently and yeah. that there's just no right way. I mean, you hear these entrepreneurs that get up at like 4.45 and they right. take a cold shower and they're <laughs> ready and they're doing their, you know, wheatgrass smoothie and that's right. great. I don't think I can do 4.45, but everybody has their yeah. own process. But then there's some people that fool themselves and that's the trick I worry about. I, I think, yeah. I, I definitely think that, that, that the footnote to that question is, is really like, you know, uh, when when do your inspirations kind of come? And for me, they come all over the place and any time. But oddly, it comes at night. You know, it comes at night often as well. I just think that you let it sit. You know, inspiration comes to you, ideas, you know, come to you, and you sort of let it let it sit around in your head. You know, and 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 you can't really actively do anything about it. It's for me, I you know, I, I just sort of let it sit, and then I will actually try to, you know, execute on an idea during the day. You know, did you grow up in the big city? I grew up in the suburbs of the San Francisco Bay Area. You know, I mean, worked and played in in the city, but it was suburbia. You know, um, but now L.A. You know, I mean, I mean, L.A. is unique in some ways, you know, in, in the sense that there's so many kind of like ambitious people coming here to do uh, what seems to me like an impossible kind of task of making your living as an artist, you know? And so I think maybe with that, maybe with, you know, where the country is or whatever, you know, or expectations or all these kinds of different things um, cause anxiety in the city, you know, cause anxiety um, in people who are kind of expected to get married or expected to make a certain amount of money in their jobs or expected to do certain things um, and, and, and how that bumps up against, you know, what they are able to do. Yeah, I think the money part yeah. is, is a huge factor in the city. Yeah, being able to afford, you know, um, where to live and, and it's tough, you know, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a really kind of, and which is why I think, um, you know, for me, I wanted to really kind of explore that in this movie because this movie is very much about friendship it's about family it's about love modern love and life and, and all those kinds of things um, and there's a lot of humor in this story there's a lot of fun moments in the story that I think the audience can really kind of like enjoy they can see themselves and their friends and their family uh, in the characters in this movie but I think at the same time it also starts a conversation about that you know, about anxiety. So let's pretend this is the moment that you've just finished writing All I Want. You've just finished the script mm -hmm. and now it's time for you to begin marketing and, and pitching it. Mm. Um, who are you calling and how are you setting up these meetings? This is before the movie's made? Mm -hmm. You know, I think... This is your script. Right. Right. I think I think this film taps into a certain audience um, who's really interested in kind of almost foreign cinema. You know, um, the the 
ideas that happen in this movie um, are almost. I mean, I mean, you know, I think, I think, I think the 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 lines of fracture, you know, in the relationships, you know, and the lives of people in the story are 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 kind of micro fractures, you know. But those micro fractures, you know, have a big effect on on the world of these people, and so I think. I think I would probably be interested in talking to someone who's um, interested in, in foreign cinema, interested in, in, in kind of indie filmmaking, um, the kind that doesn't, you know, depend on, you know, these kinds of, you know, garden variety kind of plot points about, you know, there is a car crash here and there is a gunshot here, you know, which all have very important value in, in different kinds of films. Um, but I think in this film, it's really nuanced. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of nuance. Um, so I would be, you know, talking to people who are, who are interested in those kinds of films. Um, so do you ever do cold calling? Because you, do you strike me as the type that you're not, intimidated you're not like a blustering like salesperson but you you're just open and you kind of perceive the world that way too so you're not really intimidated i'm putting on a really really good face <laughs> okay oh i don't know i'm just going back to the scales <laughs> i hate to bring it back to that but it, yeah yeah it seems yeah. like you you don't you're not too shy but you're not too much of like this hardcore salesman so if you were going to pitch it um how would you approach you know it's hard because the 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 kind of um, the the DNA of this movie was not that the DNA of this movie was very much we hadn't we had a cast kind of in mind um, we had a location in mind and and it was really kind of writing for um, the resources that we had you know and trying to make that story as compelling as 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 kind of thematically interesting as possible you know um, but to answer your question I think you know I think we would have to we would have to what was the question again oh well in it, let's, let's role play so let's suppose you meet with me and you don't really know me that well but you're gonna pitch me this idea how are you gonna pitch me to read this screenplay you know, I, I don't know where you're meeting me. <clears throat> right. <laughs> I think I think I would. I again, I think I would. You know, really, really talk about. I think I would really, you know, ask him the question. What are people dealing with every day that we don't talk about? You know, um, what and what and what are people not what are the secrets that people are not sharing that impact the decisions that they make let's make a film about those secrets let's make a film about those ideas that people have that they don't share let's make a film about those emotions that people experience all throughout the day that they're too afraid to kind of explore you know this movie is not necessarily, in the traditional sense, a plot-driven movie, although, you know, the plot is certainly kind of a driving force, um, just as the character is. 
but this story is really kind of driven by all these different characters experiencing something similar for whatever reason you know um, and I think and I think if if you as a producer is interested in kind of exploring um, that theme you know I think you would be interested you know because I think honestly, you know, I'm not sure that this film would be done by the studios unless it were attached to a bunch of famous faces. Well, I'm thinking of Crash, let's mm -hmm. say. So Crash was great because you saw these people that you had a stereotype sort of right. vision of what they must be like. And then when you uncovered stuff behind the scenes, right. you saw that, you know, when, right. once their mask was off, Absolutely. they were just fragile and, and going through all sorts of things right. and it explained their behavior. Right, right. Um, yeah. So And so I think I think I think Crash is an amazing, you know, story. It obviously was, you know, uh very critically acclaimed and but I'm not sure that Crash would maybe get the kind of, you know, uh, traction that it had without uh, you know, a famous cast, you know. Um I think that's the really frustrating thing about the landscape of filmmaking today is that how many stories are not being explored how many storytellers out there are, are not able to really kind of bring interesting ideas to fruition because the market says, well, we don't have, we don't, we're not interested in that. There's no audience for that. There's no audience for that. I mean, you know, I mean, the Fast and the Furious kind of like franchise is taking over the box office and, and, and movies like that have, have a lot of entertainment value, but I think it might also scare away investors from you know, more personal movies like All I Want. You know, movies that are some ways foreign in, 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 in tone and texture. Do you think when we go to the movies, we want to know, this is so-and-so actress, this yeah. is so-and-so actor, I know what they're going to deliver me? You know, I... I, <laughs> I know they're going to have their meltdown right. scene, and I'm going to love it. I, I have it know. every movie. I'm, I, you know, I'm not great. I'm not great at kind of understanding how to market a film the way a lot of kind of genius marketers are, you know, like in terms of let's hit the four quadrants and let's really kind of tap into that kind of audience. And those are things that I understand in an intellectual way, but that's, that's not how I kind of think about stories emotionally. So, um, you know, recently, I mean, like, I mean, a great movie that happened during the Oscar campaign was Lion, oh, you know? Absolutely I mean, love it. That movie was amazing. Love it. And I think part of the reason why I really enjoyed, you know, Nicole Kidman's performance, as an example, was that she was surrounded by, number one, really amazing actors and performers, but also they were not quote-unquote famous, right? And so you naturally believed her context. You believed that she was in a world of quote-unquote real people, right. you know? And, and I think that movie worked in so many ways, but I think I've had so many people say, oh, I love Nicole's um, you know, performance in that. And I said, I loved it too. And I think one of the reasons, aside from masterful filmmaking, is that you never had to, as an audience, jump over that kind of obstacle of she's famous and I don't believe that she's, you know, 
struggling. I don't believe that she's broke. I don't believe that she's X, Y, and Z. You know, she's surrounded by people who are very kind of, you know, not famous and, 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 and not movie stars. So for me as an audience, I, I gravitate towards movies like that. And so does Melissa, you know, Melissa and I, that's one of the things that we kind of, you know, really connected um, to was, was, but we're both fans of kind of those kinds of films. Um, so I think, you know, I'm not sure that I'm the best person to ask about that because there are people who say like, no, films with no famous people don't get made. I don't know. From just being here for like the last hour or so, I get the sense that you're very disciplined. Maybe that's the wrong assumption, but you seem very disciplined to me. <laughs> do you ever procrastinate? And I'm sure you do, but if so, what are some of the things you catch yourself doing that you're like, oh, you know what? I'm procrastinating. This isn't real research. This isn't working. And how do you combat that? Well, I think social media is certainly kind of, you know, such a, you know, big part of our daily lives today. So for me, is managing that, you know, trying to be, you know, connected to it in the sense that you can communicate with people, but not, you know, let it steal all your hours away. You know, for me, that that's kind of a big thing. Um, Time management, you know, for me, you know, is, is kind of like a lot of artists and storytellers out there working in Los Angeles. Uh, there's so many people out there who, who are talented and who are, have great ideas, but they're, you know, they've got their survival job, you know, they've got auditions or they've got, you know, families and they've got dogs to walk and kids to care for, you know, and, and so all those things are not excuses. They are real parts of people's lives, you know? And I think that's the thing that I've had to try to explain to my, my, my family and friends about the work that I do, the work that a lot of my friends do, the work that a lot of the people that you know do. You know, people say, well, how do you deal with the rejections? And I say, well, I can deal with the rejections. That's just part of it, you know? But it's really the time management, you know, trying to figure out which meetings are important to take and, um, you know, which jobs that you have to kind of turn down because it's not inspiring or whatever, you know, so. Um, social media is a big thing that gets in the way. Having to pay rent is a big thing that gets in the way, you know, having to find money to do grocery shopping is to get, you know, you know, all the things that kind of get in the way for, for everybody, you know. Um, um, but I think this business is especially kind of unique in the sense that you have to kind of go out there and create your own path, you know, which is what Melissa has done. Um, and I think I'm so proud of her is that she is a talented actress and she's, you know, um, been around and, 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 but there was something about that kind of complacency that she just was not, um, happy with. And I think, and that's, that's what I think another reason why we connected. I know you wrote for filmcourage.com yeah. in 2011, I think, was it, was it for Night Dream Blues? Right. Might have been right. for that. Right. And I know that that got a Tied lot away. of hits. Right. 
Um, yeah. it, it did very well. And I think part of it was, too, you were very open about a lot of things. And one of the things you said, and I'm paraphrasing here, yeah. is that you would go after these little bit parts with a lot of zeal and, and zest and really go after things. And then you realized you were sending the message to yourself that you weren't worth more, or maybe I'm reading too much into mm -hmm. it, but that you decided you really wanted to step it up because in, in terms of going after bigger things, because right. you were sending the message to the, yourself, the universe, right. that I'm only worth these little bit things. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting topic because, you know, I, I, I wrote about that from the perspective of being a minority actor, you know, where parts are not kind of coming down to me as often, and when they do, they're not as interesting. And something that we wanted to attack in All I Want um, the feature film is that Melissa, you know, as a woman, you know, how often in even in today's kind of like, you know, landscape of filmmaking, you know, to have a strong female protagonist is unfortunately still rare, you know, and so that was something that she was up against, you know, and so we connected on that as well. And so I, I think part of the reason why she wanted to kind of embark on this journey was because as a female actress, uh, a storyteller, she was not kind of getting access to the kind of stories that she felt she was really interested in telling. You know, oftentimes the female role is kind of just, you know, the girlfriend who is upset at the main character, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she wanted more than that. And, and I think that was something that, you know, um, that we talked about during this film was, was really kind of making this film really have strong female characters. And so this film is special in the sense that it, it's got a strong ensemble across the board, but it's got a really kind of uh, an interesting, um, a female kind of energy in a sense that there is this, you know, um, there is this storyline about all these different female characters um, that I think is really prominent, that I really enjoy. What about for you, though? When you made that decision, mm -hmm. whether it was 2011 or whenever, where you said, you know what, I want to only have a certain standard for myself, and it's not, uh, and I'm putting right. words in your mouth right. here, but so please stop me. Um, yeah. It's not that you feel maybe that you're better than that, but that you want more. Right. Right. Uh, personally, emotionally, career-wise, all these things. Yeah. How was that when you would maybe, let's say you, I don't know how you choose your roles or how you choose what you want to write, but that you would use this test and say, uh, I don't know if that's the level I want to be at. How did you start deciphering that? Uh, aside from right. this project, I mean, like just in general, because obviously that led to this project. Right, right, right. I think it's an ongoing kind of uh, process. I don't think it happens overnight, you know? I think there are a lot of moments where you, for me, there were a lot of moments where I knew what I didn't want, knew what I wanted. And then there's this kind of, you know, part of this phase of negotiating that, you know? Uh, you know, I mean, if I wanna write that, you gotta go through all the work of writing the script. And then you gotta go through all the work of raising money. And then there's all these kind of voices in your head that say, no, 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 just, just that's too much work. You know, and so there is definitely that phase. And then, you know, after I don't know how, how long, and then you start to, for me, I started writing in theater. 
And so the journey was very long. You know, I started writing in 2004, you know, and I've written, you know, several plays that's been produced. And, and, and so my kind of quote unquote playground of figuring out my, my voice, my instrument started in the theater, you know, and then, and then went through short films and feature films. And, and so I think, I think, you know, after you've gone on so many auditions for one line, you know, for a character that, that might be cut out during editing, you start to kind of lose interest because you have a bigger story that you want to tell, you know? Um, so, I don't know, I think it happened over years. You know, it happened over years of realizing um, that I wanted to take, uh, you know, more control over the stories that I was involved in. West, when you first start writing a stage play or a screenplay, even for a short or, or feature, is there a structure that you follow? Do you start outlining? What's your process? Let's suppose you have an idea, you have a story you want to tell. What are some of the things that you first do in the beginning? Um, for me, I let it sit for a while. You know, I let it sit for a while. And I, I tend to, what I've learned for me over the years, from my own personal kind of instrument is that when I first started I would get excited about an idea and I would tell everyone about it I would call my my brother I would tell my friend I would tell I would call you and tell you I would call him and tell you know and then because because you're excited about it and I think that's a good energy to have when you have a story to tell but what I do now is that I don't tell anyone about it and I think that's important for me interesting because I think you wanna it's almost like a boxer you want to get into the ring with as much energy as possible so that when the bell rings, you're coming out, you know, swinging. And, and what I discovered over the years is that when you spend all your energy telling people about it and then you get in front of the computer, you have no energy. You're done telling people about it, right? So for me, I keep it all bagged up. I get excited about it and I talk to myself about it and I think about it a whole lot. And I get it to the point where it's about, for me, it's about 70% done. I never want to get to the point where it's 100% done because you want to allow for some room for inspiration and changes. So I get it to the, for me, I get it to the point where it's about 70% figured out. And then there's all this kind of energy kind of boiling. And then I wake up really early in the morning, have my coffee, and I just sort of like spend all that energy getting it out onto the page. And then it's on the page, and then you have a little bit of, you know, kind of security, and then you can maybe tell people about one scene or whatever. But, you know, I, I, I think it's good to keep the energy wrapped up. That's interesting, yeah. because I think, there's, I think there's, there's a lot of people here that don't when they first come here, and I'm just wondering, was there a turning point? Was there, like, something that happened where you yeah. said... Oh, I think trial and error. I oh, think okay. I think I think like for everybody, and I, you know what works for me may not work for uh, other people. I, I'm a morning person. I like to write during the day. Um, I know what my habits are when I get into a writing block. You know, when I get into a writing block, I I do I, I almost always go hiking by myself. Interesting. I almost always go and watch movies by myself. Um, 
and you know, and again, other people have different things, you know. And for me, um, I've gotten to know my kind of instrument over the years. I, I've gotten to know how I like to work and how I like to solve problems, you know. So for me, um, not telling people about the story works. Um, how do you know you're in a block? I know that sounds like a really strange question because it sounds like it'd be so obvious, but maybe you're not in a block. Maybe you're just like tired. How do you know that you're not tired or something else isn't going on, but it's an actual block with the story? That's a really good question. I do think that sometimes you do get tired. Um, I think for me, if it's, this sounds really kind of weird, but, and I'm sure a lot of the writers who, who might be watching this um, might understand um, because it's such an esoteric kind of a writerly, you know, bullshit. But <laughs> I'm really good at that. You know, <laughs> but, but I, th I, think, I think if the writer is too much in the driver's seat, that's a bad thing. I think at some point the story has a life of its own. And I think in some ways a writer has to sort of surrender to, you know, the, to the story, to the characters, you know? I think, I mean, you know, some, some of the work, I mean, I mean, you know, I wrote this really successful play in, you know, I don't, I, it was produced in 2012 and, uh, you know, it was really well received and I'm proud of, incredibly proud of it. That script came out of me like in two weeks, you know. Really? Um, and the idea came to me like three in the morning, you know, in, 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 in a flash. And so there's something kind of spiritual and, and, and metaphysical about that that I try not to answer and figure out. Okay, that's you know? fair. Yeah, that's you know, so mm -hmm. I, I So I think when you start to get too formulaic, when you start to try to like, shoehorn too many things together when you feel yourself like bullshitting and you know it's weird i mean it's it's a fine line of being authentic and and formulaic be, being inspired and being disciplined and those are really kind of weird kind of intersections so in other words it sounds like you don't really want to overthink it too much and have like a name for the process you just know it's instinctual yeah i try to it's a balance it's a balance. We keep on going back to the yeah. word balance. It's a balance, you know, because I, I tend to be very heady at times. But, you know, you don't want to go overboard. Which I don't think is a bad thing because it keeps you on track. You know, because if you go too far out, you might be too much of a dreamer and all right. these ideas are there and you're telling everybody, but nothing's happening. Right. Whereas how you talked about it earlier, when you knew you just had like, no, 90 pages isn't going to work. It's got to be 75 because right. it's going to cost, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, that sounds like it's working now. I think, I think all I want the project was again, you know, unique because it's a collaborative project with another person, um, Melissa, who's, you know, very personally uh, tied to the story in terms of her, you know, heartstrings, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I didn't have the ability to make all the decisions, you know, in a vacuum, you know, for better or worse, you know. Um, we had to really have conversations about, you know, character and plot all along the way. 
um, which is, you know, different from, you know, previous projects in the sense that I kind of wrote it on my own and I, I kind of wrote it on my own and I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to accomplish. Um, so, yeah. How do you feel on those days when you have no time to work on your writing? I get really depressed. I get depressed. I get self-defeating, you know. Um, I've always believed in some weird way that, 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 that uh, I'm, you know, the parable about the, the tortoise and the hare kind of a thing. You know, I feel like I'm like the tortoise kind of. And so I have a kind of really, really strong and present work ethic that sometimes gets really annoying. You know, so I have a really bad, guilty kind of conscience about not working. So there are certainly days where I'm not doing any writing or not doing any kind of, you know, workshopping. And, and um, it's frustrating because you feel like you haven't been productive. But I think going back to a bigger kind of uh, frame... I think those moments are important. You know, when I do experience writer's block and I go and go for a hike and zone out um, and I spend a day at the beach or I'm watching a movie or something, I think a lot of good can come from that. You know, it gives you perspective and distance from the project a little bit. Um, and I also think that if you're not writing, you know, either because there's something wrong with the script with the story or that something else is supposed to happen that you have to tend to whether it's life things or whether it's whatever so I try not to beat myself up too much about it but but I can be very hard on myself for sure really for oh, sure that's interesting I, I see that you would be more easy on yourself huh. you know I mean what we are I think in this business so many of us we're, we're, we don't, we're not treated as business owners we're not treated as entrepreneurs we're treated as struggling artists right but we are business owners right we each are running our own business with limited staff with you know high overhead with trying to figure out how to make our product different from our competitors and we're all struggling to find funding right and so we have to kind of wear that hat with a little more pride. You know, we are business owners, we are entrepreneurs. And so it's, 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 it is tough when you are running your own business and you feel like, you know, you're not going to work on that one day and you feel like, oh no, what's going on? So, um, you know, I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's tough when I feel like I'm not being productive. Hmm. Do you do you recognize that when you're in the moment of it? Like, let's suppose you have a week coming up where you're really not going to have time to work on your own stuff, yeah. and you know that, and you're like, okay, I'm going to just have to bite the bullet and do what I have to do. But do you do you start to recognize it in yourself? Like, oh gosh, you know what it is? It's because I'm not working on my creative stuff. Yeah, you know, I've read a lot of kind of blogs and watched a lot of interviews about other writers who either have the luxury to write every single day, you know, because they're, they're being paid to write a certain script, or that's how they work. But 
and I, I, I think for me, I'm not sure that I'm the kind of writer who writes every day. You know, maybe I need to be a little bit better about that. I'm not sure, but I try to be mindful of what is inspiring to me at the moment, you know, and, and, and letting that energy build up, you know, so that I'm not just sitting at a computer like staring at a blank page. You know, for me, I think sometimes it's important to stare at a blank page and other times it's really important to just kind of like let that energy build up and build up and build up so that you have a lot to say you know so that you have a lot to say and a lot to express and and you can put it all on the page and I think that's important too how do you keep a story from being boring oh geez I'm not sure that I'm the one to ask you know because I was watching someone's movie the other day and I was just so inspired by this movie. And that happens a lot. I'll watch some friend's film or some indie film or some foreign film and I'm just like, my God, that, that is amazing. And I'll watch that and I'll think about my own work or I'll think about stuff that I've worked on and I think that's so boring. So I don't know. I think that when you have so much kind of, when you're so close to a project, you know, I think you lose perspective. And I don't know, I, I mean, it's hard to say because sometimes I do feel like the script I'm working on is boring and I'll need someone to read it and be like, this is really, really interesting. You know, I recently um, talked to with a friend who's interested in, in, in kind of, you know, uh, workshopping a, a play that I did years ago, potentially adapting into a movie. He's, you know, wants to really kind of help me raise money for it. And, and, and I was like, well, I'm not sure that's interesting anymore. And he was like, are you, are you kidding me? It's really, really interesting. So sometimes you need that perspective from someone, you know, to say, this is what is good about it. This is what's not good about it. So I'm, you know, I don't know if, keeping things boring and not boring is the best job for me to do, I think, you know? Because it's so subjective. Yeah, I mean, I can see how, let's say, take Lion Movie, which right. we both love right. from last year, and, and we would look at it and say there was probably no moment in the story right. that was boring to right. us. Right. And so it's hard to like work on our own stuff when we have that as our sort of Right. that we're comparing our work to. Right. Mm -hmm. That movie also, part of, you know, it's hard. When you're competing with a true story mm -hmm. that is... Unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. right? I know. That's, that's tough. You know, it, it's always, that's always the case when you're, when you're kind of competing with that, you know? So I think if someone wrote that script and, and, and asked the studio to make it, they would be like, this is crazy. This is impossible. This sounds really far-fetched, you know? But but I think that's a true story, um, so it's tough. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, movies that make a lot of money in the box office aren't always movies that are interesting to me. No, they're not. You know, um, they make a lot of money and they hit the right plot points on the right pages. But for me, sometimes they're boring, you know? So I think... I think that is somewhat subjective, you know? Um, 
Whereas maybe an art house film, would there be more room for a character to have like some extreme highs and lows? What, what do you think it is? Because it seems like with a lot of the studio films lately, right. it, it's maybe they keep it so light. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't yeah. know. I don't see a lot of studio films. So, what do you think it is that that doesn't keep your attention? Whereas maybe these art house films, these foreign films that you love, right? Um, Ingmar Bergman, somebody that right. just really like, wow, you don't even have to understand what they're saying, right? To be like so captivated by that right. scene, you know. You know, I also think it's. I think a film really needs an audience, you know. I think I think I think there's the process of the filmmaker making the film, you know, and then I think there is the and then that there's the second part where the audience is experiencing the film, you know, and so if someone makes a incredibly sad movie that is incredibly difficult to market, and then it plays in a theater. And there's that one person who's going through an incredibly sad day, and he walks into that theater on a rainy day and buys one ticket and watches that movie in a dark theater, and is profoundly impacted by that film. Right? There is an interesting value in that, even if that film, you know, um, I don't know, is having a hard time getting, you know, making money. So. I don't know. I think I think I think I I think what I sense is that there should be a lot of kind a lot of different kinds of films out there. Different storytellers, different kind of budgets and different kinds of approaches to storytelling because I think that's what it should be. There are different kinds of people. There are different kinds of moods. There are different kinds of kind of sensibilities. And I just hope that you know the Hollywood kind of like market is not steering us towards you know one flavor um, for everybody, you know, and no room for any other flavors. You know, I think that's I think that's that's the ideal. The ideal is that you can walk into a the marketplace and there's like fifteen, twenty different flavors. There maybe isn't one that's making seven hundred billion dollars, but there's different kinds of flavors, and you can kind of have uh, access to all of them. What is it that makes a character boring to you? I think a character with no inner life, I think, is boring. You know, I think if I think if for me, I think if the character is having some inner life. If that makes sense, you know whether that inner life is subtext or whether that inner life is in conflict with um, his public life or her public life. You know, that's interesting to me. You know, um, I don't know. I think it really depends on the kind of story it is, and you know, um, you know, every, every. I guess you know to use a comparison to like making a meal. I think every meal is different. You know, every meal demands different kind of ingredient. You know, and so I certainly don't feel like I have all the answers by any means. You know, I mean, for me, I'm just trying to figure things out on my own, and I'm trying to figure things out on my own based on 
my own kind of sensibilities and my own you know way of writing um, but I think I think having some inner life you know is um, what about you I'm even thinking of let's suppose a movie that's light and fluffy like Legally Blonde it was still interesting her right. character right. is still you want to see her she, she doesn't seem to get um, easily um, you know taken aback by right. all sort of these jabs that are thrown her way right. and you're kind of like wow that's really interesting and she right. keeps being light and bubbly and happy right. when most people would be like giving these people the middle finger after right. a while you know right. but and so you're kind of like wow I find her interesting yeah. you know and that's that's a light you know fun film but there's kind of a message behind it but still it's a studio film sure. where it wasn't boring it right. was it's, interesting enough to keep my attention and I mean that's I mean it's incredibly crafted screenplay mm -hmm. Blonde, yeah. you know I mean on a, on a plot level in terms of where things happen on uh, terms of you know when you're talking about the traditional you know having the first kind of like pre-life and how that changes and what what inciting you know incident you know all that stuff um, but you know, you look at her character. I mean, she's battling against kind of expectations that people have, right. you know, with who she might be and and what her kind of inner life might be. So I think for me, you know, th I mean, there are plot-driven stories and there are character-driven stories, and you know, I think they they certainly kind of like overlap in, in a lot of areas. But but generally speaking, if you're talking about a character for me. If there's something about that character that tells me that either that person isn't telling everything uh, about his life or her life, or there's something about that person that what he or she is doing, you know, in front of people is different from what they're doing behind the scenes. For me, that's interesting. You said earlier that you're hard on yourself. Do you give yourself permission to write badly at first? You know, there's that thing where you just like get it all out on page. The first draft is going to be horrible, but you have to get that in place. Or do you do you find yourself really censoring yourself? I have tried to, you know, for me, my own journey right now as a writer, I have tried to be more and more imperfect as I've grown as a writer, you know, I've tried to be better at letting things go. Um, and, 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 and I'm not sure whether that's a maturing process as a writer or whether that's simply specific to like my own kind of like journey, you know. Um, I've recently been really uh, kind of inspired by films that seem imperfect in a lot of ways and that's kind of like inspired me in some ways um what's imperfect about them the characters or the the actual story i think they're imperfect in in the traditional sense of like you know not all the sound is pretty not all the picture is pretty you know some things are not you know, um, you can tell that they're lacking in budget or whatever, but it's got so much, so much heart, you know? So I don't know, you know, I mean, some films kind of find that in, in editing, 
you know it's really kind of a strange filmmaking is kind of a strange thing in the sense that what the audience sees and what the audience either admires or does not like some of those are happy accidents and some of those you know you might find a a shot in the movie that's really inspiring and you're like you know that's genius how did that come about and they're like well that happened by accident you know um or vice versa you know you might have something in there that's that's you know amazing and it doesn't work and they spent you know you know a lot of time on so it's it's really kind of a strange thing because you know i don't know i mean intention and the the producer or the filmmaker's intention you know that relationship with 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 the final product i don't know it's kind of a strange thing yeah i can think of a few films where i've seen the boom mic right 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 <laughs> the film and i still love it you yeah. know or the ending is very unclear right. but it actually keeps me right. wait oh wait but what if i wonder how that turned out right you know, and then... uh, the movie that came out a few years ago that was shot on the iphone tangerine mm -hmm. you know i mean i mean i don't know what the reception was of that movie i saw that movie and i was inspired by that movie Simply because you realize that how accessible storytelling is in some ways, you know. Sean but, Baker. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, you can't make an iPhone movie for every single script. I mean, it works for a certain type of story, you know. It, works, it, it worked for that story because the story was so kind of like gritty and, and immediate and accessible. Um, so it worked for that, you know, so... What was the best piece of advice on writing you've ever received? Gosh, I think there have been a lot over the years or whatever, you know. Um, I think trusting your actors, you know, I think is really, really kind of important, you know, as a writer. Um, trusting the actor's instincts about you know, either the line or um, about the moment or about any subtext. I think it's really important. Um, sorry, so, yeah. so that's great. Let, sorry to interrupt. So, mm -hmm. so when you said again, the best answer wins, best idea. So if an actor has a suggestion and it's not on the script, but it's set in, in the moment, yeah. sometimes you're like, you know what, I like that. Let's go with that. You know, I think for me, you know, this gets into a whole kind of like a discussion, but for me, I think, I, I think there are reliable writers and unreliable writers. You know, I think, I think, as an actor, when you pick up a script from a writer that you don't know, there are ways of telling, you know, whether that writer is reliable, and if that right for me, if that writer is reliable, then you kind of put your instincts you know, to the side and follow this writer's kind of like map and see where it leads. Um, and then, you know, along the way, you might have some questions, whatever. And then you might get a script where the writer is clearly not reliable. And so you have to kind of measure the essence of the story, measure the essence of the writer's intentions and keep your instincts close to you so that you can kind of let your instincts guide you a little bit, you know. So, you know, that's, that's the way that I kind of 
approach things as an actor. Um, so as a writer, I would hope that most actors who read my scripts can tell that I'm a reliable writer. Uh, and so I think that buys you a little bit of time in letting the actor kind of follow you on your journey and trusting your instincts. Um, and then along the way, you know, there might be some discussion about that scene doesn't work or where is that line coming from? And then you might, you know, be proven wrong. Um, and that happens, you know, naturally. Um, I think over the years for me, I think when I first started writing, I was really kind of specific about the world that I wanted to create, the scene that I wanted to create. Um, I wanted to kind of really dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And then I think as I've written more and more, as I've, you know, kind of grown as, you know, storyteller, um, I've, I've kind of been more comfortable with letting go of some of that stuff and, and, letting, and letting kind of like things get figured out, you know, during, during the process of either rehearsal or filming or whatever. So um, trusting the actors a little bit um, I think is good, you know. Um, not spelling everything out, I think, is important. You know, something that I've learned. Um, and I think, I mean, these are not really advice, kind of like comments that I've received, but it's more things that I've learned. I don't know if that makes sense. But for me, when I first started writing, I, I, I had all these secrets that I wanted to keep. And they were my secrets about as the writer, and I didn't really want to share it with the audience. And then... You know, and then I, the more I've written, I realize that you have to share things with the audience. That's the relationship. You have to be careful of what you share and you have to decide when you want to share it, but you have to share things with the audience. Otherwise, they're not interested. They're not invested. They're confused or whatever. Um, so I think trusting the audience is um, right up there with trusting the actors, you know, is really kind of like, letting things go a little bit, not spelling everything out and hoping that, you know, that either the actors will do the rest of the work for you or the audience will do the rest of the work for you. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's important, you know. What do you trust in the audience with again? Figuring out the subtext or, or not needing to spell everything out. You know, um, I think the the challenge with any kind of work of art, I think, is the the minute you you begin the process of creating that that work of art or that product or whatever, you start to lose perspective. You know, and I think that is a, an inherent part of the process, but it's also something that. That, that you know we have to be aware of uh, as soon as you start going into the cave and the more you walk toward this kind of finished product the deeper you are into this cave and you start to like not know what you know what what works and what what you know what doesn't work you know so I think trusting the audience that something will work without having to spell everything out I think is probably a 
good thing that I've learned. Um, you know. Is that because as you go into this cave, you're getting further and further into your own mind? And so are you losing perspective as how other people would see it? Yeah, I think so. Because I think when you watch a movie, you, you, you don't really know the writer's you know, intention or, or, or you don't really know. You just sort of, you're on this journey. And I think, you know, when you are with the story for a long time and you're raising money for it and you're pitching this story to so many different people and you're shooting it and you, you know, do you want, you're just so close to the product, you know, you're so close to, to the story that it, 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 you know, some things you think matter don't. And some things that you think don't resonate actually have a really strong impact in the audience. And, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's really kind of hard to figure out, you know. What secrets do you think they want to know and why? Is it because they want to know they're like you? Well, what, what, I, what I meant initially was just kind of plot secrets, you know. Um, you know, little things that you think have kind of resonance or whatever, you know. Um, like, I, you know, the very first play that I wrote back in 2004, I loved that play. It had a lot of heart, you know, and, and it was really kind of like special in its own way. But when I read it now, you know, I see all these kinds of, writer's secrets you know i see all these kinds of kind of really esoteric um things that mattered to me as a writer but they didn't really matter to the plot per se you know and they didn't really have you know an impact on the story you know um and so i think for that specific story as an example you know some of those decisions kind of confused the audience you know um in that in that specific script you know so it's more about that but um but yeah well they say the writer reveals things about themselves even if the story is embellished even if it's not a true story but they reveal who they are in their character yeah you know i was listening to an interview the other day the other day on 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 npr and um and it was with a writer, I can't remember her name, but she was talking about writing and, 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 and what she said resonated with me, you know, because I think the person interviewing her was like, who are these people that you're writing? And she said, they're me. Every single character is me. And I think that's really true for me as well. You know, I think even though I'm writing a different character per se, whether they are young or old or male, female, or whatever, you know? They are really kind of me because, number one, I've said all the lines, you know? Um, and when I write, I say all the lines out loud, you know? And so I've said all the lines and I've thought about all the different subtext. And so it's really me, you know? It's, it's sort of my understanding of the world, even if it's from a different perspective per se, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I think whether an audience thinks that you're revealing something about them, 
I'm not sure, but but you definitely get some view of the person writing the story, you know? Why do you think we need storytelling? Well, I think the conventional or one conventional response would be that, you know, we are watching ourselves, you know, on screen or on stage or way back in the days of the cave men and women, we were just sort of watching ourselves by the fire, right? I mean, there's the entertainment value. People want to be entertained. I think, gosh, it's hard to answer this question without sounding somehow, you know, really kind of hokey and generic, you know, but I think the truth is, I think, and this sounds horrible, but I think it's so that we don't feel so alone, you know, and I think it's just so that we feel like what we are going through, what we might think is unique to us because of what we are going through, family or living circumstances or whatever, that there's someone else out there feeling the same thing. And so that somehow through entertainment tells you that it's okay. Or that even if it's not okay, that what you were going through is not something, you know, that you are going through because of who you are or because of something that you have done, you know. Um, I think there is something about that, you know. And I think, I think that's why, you know, I know that you and I have had many conversations about proper representation on screen. And I think that affects a little bit too, you know. I think for more women to see themselves on screen or for, for you know, people of color to see, see themselves on screen or on stage, there is this kind of subliminal kind of, you know, affirmation that what you are going through or people who act like you or walk like you or look like you, um, that they're out there that they're also experiencing these different things. So I think there's that. I think for me, for me personally, it's beyond entertainment. For me personally, it's really about this kind of connecting with other people out there, you know. How is it to be in a theater? I mean, it seems like so many of us watch phones now, or excuse me, watch, so many of us watch films now on our phones or laptop or whatever, but that actual going to the theater and not knowing the people you're sitting around and right. you're watching somebody go through something that is intensely personal right. and maybe you feel like you're the only one in the theater who can relate to it, but you're also, you can feel the stranger across five rows right. is affected. You just feel it. Right. How is that for you? Because you talk about if we do go to see these films, that it's a way of, of connecting and feeling that we're not so Mm -hmm. separate or different in this world. Mm -hmm. How is that? I think it's even more dramatic in some ways um, in theater because like you said, it's live, you know? I mean, it really depends on the production, but, but I think it, it's so immediate and live. And like you said, you see someone having that discussion or that argument or that, you know, confession right in front of you. 
you know, and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a, I, I went to um, see my friends uh, play in, in Denver um, about two weeks ago. And, it, you know, it, it was a good theater and it was a Friday night and it was packed with people who don't work in the theater community, you know? They were just sort of on the way home from work and they met up with a friend, grabbed the beer and went to watch a play. And there was something so striking about that because I think in LA, you know, it's always a struggle to kind of compete for an audience, you know, whether it's film or, or theater, you know. And a lot of people who do go to watch theater in LA, a lot of them are working in the industry, you know, so they're supporting a friend or they're, you know, kind of interested in, in, in the season of a certain theater company. So I even think it's regional. I think, I think, I think um, the fact that I was in Denver and, and it's not entertainment capital in any way, and they went to watch a play and it felt, the experience for me was so kind of oddly pure because they were not there to figure out how a director works or figure out how, you know, a certain theater company, um, you know, does casting or, you know, things like that. Um, they were literally just out there for an experience of kind of watching a piece of entertainment and then they would go home and, and, and you know. So it was really interesting and this particular play, I was, I was you know, watching the audience and they all stayed for the Q&A. They all had questions about the characters. Um, and so I think that was a recent example of me kind of realizing how profound like storytelling is, you know, and, and certainly in theater because you can actually talk to the playwright or the actors, you know. Um, I think there's something about that immediate thing, you know. What film has impacted you the most and why? I mean, to the point of where like you're still obsessing over the film years later. Oh man. Well, you know, it always changes, I think, different moods, you know. I think you and I talked about this before. One of my favorite films, as an example, is uh, You, Me, Everyone We Know, right? We talked about this with Miranda de July, right? That film mm -hmm. was really good. The to I mean, I think, I think, you know, if I were to list top, top, top films, oh man, it's hard because I don't want to be tied down to any sort of like choice, you know? American Beauty is yeah. one of my favorite films. Why? Um, what, what was it about that film that just got you? Well, I think, you know, bringing back, I think what I love about that film, obviously, is, is the, the masterful kind of, you know, storytelling. You know, it, it, it's very, um, I don't want to use the word polished, because I think sometimes polished has a, has a bad connotation, but I think it's, it's got a really clear vision, and I think, you know, it's great. But also, it's got, for me, it's got, you know, this kind of, like, inner life of the character, you know, that was really interesting for me, you know. You clearly see not just Kevin Spacey's character, but everybody's got some sort of inner life, and I think that's really kind of interesting. Um, Godfather, you know, part two is great, you know, because it's very epic. Um, and I also like directors who kind of, like, 
have a wide frame and let actors kind of play. I think that's really exciting, and I think that happened a lot with that film. I mean, obviously there are really incredible like close-ups and and, and and shots, but you know, um, Francis Ford Coppola was really good with framing his shots in a kind of like a photographic way that lets the audience decide what is interesting. Um, you know, and I saw that film in a really, really kind of a young age, so that was very impactful. Um, I could go on and on, you know, Stand By Me is really great. I love that film because of how it talks about innocence and the loss of innocence. And I think that I saw that movie as, as a kid and I think that was a parallel in my life in some ways. Gosh. So going back to inner life, what what is that that's, if, if we want to use American Beauty as a case study, what is that inner life that the writer is showing the viewer? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly in terms of what their intentions were, you know, Sam Mendes, you know, but talking about, you know, what we said earlier uh, in a previous question about why do we tell stories and it's so that we don't feel so alone per se, right? And I think that movie in some ways is delivers this idea that there is this outside shell of a life that we call life. You know, you've got the lawn, you've got the white fence, you've got the neighbors, and you've got the car, and you've got the nine to five job per se, right? And then there's this inner life that we don't usually share with people, or there's this inner conflict about where we think we are in our lives. And, and then the movie is essentially about all those kinds of kind of private, you know, lives that we have that we would not have access to outside in the streets, right? You can't walk around and see people's inner life, you know, you just sort of see what, the, what is. And I think that movie does what theater cannot do, I think in some ways, right? And I think it does what maybe even a lot of different mediums of art can't do. I think film allows you to bring the audience in a very kind of explicit way into the private lives of people. And I think I think it's possibly through that kind of examination that the audience gets to see, oh, well, I've, I've, I've thought that same thing or, I, or I've said that same thing before or I've been, I've, I felt that way before, you know, and I think there's something about that that connects people, you know, to it. I mean, you know, when I go watch movies by myself, and when I go watch movies with a friend or friends, I think it's a different experience. You know, I think, I think when I go watch movies by myself, it's a more intimate, personal kind of connection. And I like to go watch movies by myself because I, I like to have that kind of connection with the story, you know. So... Yeah, it is a different because I think too with the friend, you're you're making sure the friend is laughing at the same part. Yeah, right. oh, isn't that funny? Okay, yeah, great. Okay, good. We both agree. That's right. Fine. But when you're by yourself, you don't need to. You're not pleasing anyone. You're, yeah, you're I think I think when yourself. you go with friends, you know the the entertainment value of a movie has a lot is higher on the list, right? Because you get a popcorn, and you go out there and you're on a date or you're out there with celebrating something with friends. 
when you're going out there by yourself, like you said, you're, you're, you're choosing that movie based on no one else's decision but yours, right? And you're like, I want to watch that actor or I want to watch that scene or blah, 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 blah. And you're not, you, it's really, I mean, I, I guess for that person, I'm sure that person wants to be entertained, but there's probably a real good chance that that person wants to feel less alone in some ways, you know, possibly. So I don't know, maybe. But then I think there's some movies that they're really best that you see alone. Yeah. Because you don't get the same, it's not the same impact. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw, I mean, just as a random example, because we're talking about, I saw a lion by myself. Oh, wow. And I was just <laughs> bawling, you know. Um, but I've seen, a lot of I've seen a lot of movies by myself, and I think, I think it's, it's enjoyable. How was that to just, sorry if I'm going too far with this, but to one, <laughs> after it, because I remember the film too, and it was yeah. incredibly emotional when you lights came up and you got a, that awkward like going into the elevator or wherever you're going to get your car. Or... You know, it's interesting you say that. It's interesting <laughs> that you like the movie so much because Absolutely. I have I have heard, and I don't know if this is, this is not scientific at all, but a lot of my male friends have really enjoyed the movie. And at the same time, I've also heard some female friends who have not been as, you know, big fans of the movie. And I don't, you know, I mean, I think, I think, I think the movie has obviously got nominated as a good movie. Technically, it's a good movie. Um, but I also think the movie for me, I don't know for you, but for me, it was, it, it, it's, it reminded me of my mother. You know, it's such a, mother-son relationship in you know and obviously it's right there in the script but do you did you feel that I mean what did you think did you think about how did you how did you walk away from the movie for me it was about someone trying to figure out where they came from and uh, essentially figure out who they were based uh, on that yeah. and there were so many unanswered questions and so if you've ever had a parent that wasn't around mm. or some missing component like that, for me, I tapped into that because right. he became so obsessed and that's all he could think about and right. looking at this map and trying to have these memories right. and, and really essentially try to figure out who he was. Right. If he could just get back there or, or make sense of these right. things. So that's where it resonated for me. That's interesting. So I don't know if it was really more of a... A, a male female thing right. in, in my sense I think it was just anybody who right. has unanswered questions if they're adopted right. or if they have unanswered questions right. about you know where they came from or right. what happened in their early life right. so to me um, that's why it, it got to me and yeah. It was it was one of those movies where I, you know you, you can't you can't be just like you know oh yeah hey how's it going to the person next to you afterwards no, no, you no, needed no. a good five ten minutes yeah. to like yeah you know no you have to kind of like yourself. focus on the movie because mm -hmm. it deserves that attention for sure yeah and, and then you add the music yeah, the I mean, it just it was everything and, oh, yeah. everything everything across the board right. and, and so. there's not a lot of movies that do that I mean the, the, there's movies that are good and then there's movies that you don't forget right. and I think that's one of those movies that for certain people right you just don't forget that those experience yeah, yeah for sure for sure yeah so do you, you remembered kind of coming out of the theater and and did you did you I, you know, I mean, I, I definitely felt a lot of the same things that you felt, um, but in a more kind of primal way. I've, 
you know, I felt the connection to my own mother. You know, my my mother, you know, kind of sacrificed a lot. And I always feel like I don't thank her enough. I always feel like I don't show her enough kind of gratitude. And then it made me think about, you know, being lost and disconnected with her in a very kind of metaphorical way. You know, even though, you know, she's six, seven hours away and I can call her anytime, you know, I want to. Um, but I still felt like I was that character in some ways that who, who somehow got lost and forgot about, you know, where he came from and forgot about, you know, the, the parents' sacrifice, you know. So for me, it, it resonated me, you know, resume, resonated with me in, in, in that way um, as well, so...